Ambassador Tingen, welcome to the talk. Uh, I'm Dr. Abdullah Mohammed. I'm from uh, the Modana, India. We work with uh, different issues and we try to strengthen the relations between India and Norway. So thank you so much for being a part of uh, our talk today. Uh, we're going to address uh, quite a few issues uh, that are very, very important, both uh, with, with regards to the situation that's, that we are in today and uh, on a general basis. Mm. I'm very pleased to be here today with Modern India. So um, could you please uh, briefly explain to us what health diplomacy is? Yeah, health diplomacy in many ways is a rather new term uh, and it uh, actually had, can have two different meanings. One is that we uh, increasingly understand that we need more diplomacy to actually re resolve health issues internationally. So we need the diplomatic arena, we need diplomats to sort of negotiate, to find good solutions. Of course, bridging the health experts with, with the more general policy uh, experts and, and diplomats. So, so those arenas would be the World Health Organization, they could be the Human Rights Council, they could be the UN uh, General Assembly in the New York, just to mention a few. But in addition, you can also say that uh, we have diplomacy, uh, you know, or this is diplomacy for health, and, but you can also say that you have health for diplomacy. So actually to have health as a platform to strengthen relations. Uh, that could be a relations between Norway and another partner, or it could be using health interventions and actually improving health conditions as a way to reconcile conflicts and, and relations between different actors. So uh, what made you accept um, the job as Norway's first global health ambassador? And uh, if I also may ask you, what's the most rewarding part of the job and what is the most challenging? Mm. No, thank you. Um, so in, in a way, I, I follow actually in the footsteps of uh, giants in the sense to, to former uh, employees, staff at the foreign ministry. Uh, we had Sigrun Mögedal who was the uh, AIDS ambassador, so in a way a, a, a smaller portfolio, but still very important in the early days of the uh, AIDS epidemic and we, when we really took action after the 2000s. And then it's uh, the well-esteemed Ture Godal who uh, headed the tropical disease program of the World Health Organization and then went on to establish uh, Gavi, the vaccine alliance, mm -hmm. uh, and he also had a similar role at the Minister of Foreign Affairs. So even if I'm the first with this title and, and where this is sort of formalized as a mandate to work on global health policy issues and to, to handle the, the ODA overall portfolio on health, uh, I, I definitely follow in footsteps of others. And, and I, of course, it's a, it was a great honor to, to be offered uh, such a position. Mm -hmm. And of course, in particular, in the times uh, we are currently experiencing with the COVID-19 pandemic, so I guess that was a, a very key driver for the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs and the Minister of International Development when they jointly decided to, to establish such a post. Yeah. And it, of course, challenges, yes, we, we have challenges these days, uh, definitely. Uh, of course, the challenge is on the ground. It's, it's related now in particular to access to, to COVID-19 technologies, so vaccines, tests, diagnostics, uh, but also to alleviate all the the sort of additional burden that COVID-19 causes in societies. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the challenge is also actually how to work on this in a more or less lockdown world. Uh, we right. cannot have uh, the normal tools of diplomacies where we actually meet in larger meetings, but also do a lot of 
sort of real work uh, bilaterally and in corridors and outside the formal meetings, those mm. are much more uh, difficult to actually uh, yeah, use now. Uh, yeah. So it's also a challenging time of actually working mm. internationally. Because we need to get, to get through to the people and contain um, epidemic and make situation better. And uh, often we do not know how the course of time will take us. So this is, I understand um, that this must be uh, quite a big of a uh, job uh, to work with. And, um, and now uh, talking about a, a, a little bit shifting the focus to uh, the challenges that India could face uh, as a part of uh, the massive COVID-19 vaccination drive that they're going to uh, plan within the months uh, ahead till the summer, mm. uh, they aim to vaccinate about 300 million people by July. Uh, what's your perspective on this? Do you think this is realistic? So India, um, I think, has the means to actually do this. Uh, mm. A lot of expertise, uh, of course, uh, a specific expertise on vaccines uh, and uh, vaccine manufacturing. Um, uh, and it's really important for the world that India succeeds in doing so. Uh, India constitutes as a population, I think, more or less a, a third of the total um, population that is within the so-called, um, I would still call them so-called, uh, low and lower middle income countries, uh, and who who will be supported by the COVAX facility in, in getting access to vaccines. So actually, in the, for, in, for the world to succeed, India needs to succeed. Uh, and I think India has now mobilized their capacities, their technologies, including the IT uh, expertise uh, mm -hmm. in India to, to really set up this uh, vaccination program. So it's, of course, it's about having the vaccines, but it's also about uh, having the capacity to, for those vaccines to reach uh, all around uh, yeah. and the most vulnerable, because, of course, these 300 million needs not to be just the general population. It needs to reach the most vulnerable, the, the elderly, the the ones with other diseases who have the uh, highest risk uh, of contracting serious COVID-19. Right. So one thing is to uh, manufacture the vaccines and help uh, uh, and set an example in the area where India is placed uh, on the planet. But um, what, what other role do you see uh, for India to, to sort of be there for the world with regards to the pandemic situation? Hmm. No, India is in many ways the vaccine factory of the world. Uh, mm -hmm. If we really look at scale and look at uh, uh, the, the number of vaccine doses produced every year, uh, it's right. the majority is actually produced in India. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the markets in low and lower middle income countries, uh, India is probably producing 90% of the mm -hmm. vaccines used in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. It's for the children's vaccination programs all around. Mm. Uh, it's uh, for the vaccines purchased by UNICEF and, and partly then also paid from by the Gavi Alliance. So, so that's why it's been really important now that uh, Indian vaccine companies uh, have engaged fully in both licensed production of vaccines that mm. are being de developed in uh, in other uh, countries, uh, it includes the AstraZeneca, so-called Oxford vaccine, also the no uh, from from the UK, of course, and then uh, the uh, Novavax vaccine from the US. Uh, so the Serum Institute of India produces that under license now. Uh, these vaccines will be really important for the global efforts. But in addition, 
Indian companies have also started to develop new vaccines uh, and uh, and to of course do those partly based on sort of standard classical technology so the so-called inactivated vaccines but also actually some more newer innovative vaccines uh, so I think this is really key for, for the for the for contributing globally to, to to actually have sufficient number of vaccine doses yeah uh, even though India plays uh, such a nice and important uh, role on the world stage, it really is also important to uh, speak about the multilateralism uh, where um, the whole world revolves around so many countries, from Fiji to um, to Alaska, uh, mm. to, uh, to Canada, to uh, South America, to Russia. So uh, speaking of multilateralism versus the individual national interests, how do you think the international community finds the balance between the imperative of protecting the health and well-being of their own populations and the moral obligation to help the developing or underdeveloped countries uh, to fair and equitable access to the vaccines? Uh, so, because I'm thinking, uh, in such a big pandemic from which we have learned enormously in the past year, uh, nobody wins the race until everybody wins the race. Mm. So, and we have so many different uh, socio-economical uh, inequalities between these countries and standards between these countries, level of education, uh, so uh, access and uh, the healthcare network. So, how do you think this challenge would be met? Mm. I think uh, we are actually now in in a very difficult uh, sort of moment in many ways. Uh, we know that approximately 40 high-income countries have started rolling out vaccines. Uh, and we know that the majority of countries in the world uh, have not. And I think that difference is, of course, a challenge. Uh, it it's demonstrates inequities. Uh, inequities uh, uh, are drivers for, uh, yeah, uh, unrest and, uh, and actually, yeah, conflicts uh, potentially in the longer run. Uh, so I think we need to have that sort of bird's eye view uh, on on the situation. In Europe, um, we've had, I would say, a bit too narrow debates on vaccine access over the last month. Uh, there has been uh, criticism uh, in several countries because they see that neighbor countries or some other countries uh, uh, further in the south have managed to start vaccination much, much faster than yeah, for instance, Norway or, or Germany, to, to just make some examples. But I think that quite small difference, and now in the early days of vaccine rollout, really does not matter if you see it in the full picture. Yeah. Having said that, I, I think it's, um, of course, as you said, it really important that countries and, and governments, uh, and democratically elected governments, of, of course, has an obligation first and foremost, to protect their own citizens. So, so that needs to be taken care of. The challenge is that um, protecting their own citizens is also now about protecting uh, the world because a pandemic uh, crosses borders. Uh, a virus cannot see any borders uh, to really have an impact internationally on controlling the pandemic. We need to use the limited number of vaccine doses wisely and, and try to make sure that we can uh, distribute them uh, equitably. Uh, so that means that um, it's important to start rollout everywhere and, and actually first address the most vulnerable and those at highest risk. 
having said that, I think the only solution to this problem uh, and this challenge uh, is to increase supply. We need to increase the number of vaccine doses being produced. Uh, and, back, and then again, back to India, I think to use the uh, large-scale manufacturing capacities uh, of middle-income countries like India, like Indonesia, like South Africa is key. Uh, and it's therefore very important that the big vaccine companies actually use those capacities, enter into partnerships with local manufacturers uh, in middle-income countries all across the world to really boost production because that is the only way. Instead of trying to have tough debates on dividing a small cake, we need to sort of expand the pie uh, and make sure that we can produce sufficient numbers to, to vaccinate the world. Yeah, But um, is there any other priorities that you think uh, Norway... Norway's global health efforts should focus on when, once the pandemic is a history? No, it's, uh, it's actually, even before it's a history, I think it's important to, to understand that all resources we have always have a, an alternative sort of use. Uh, so we need to, to make wise decisions on how we um, prioritize and, and what, where, where we uh, make the biggest efforts. Of course, in a pandemic, that has to be uh, a sort of a a first priority but at the same time we need to understand that um, even the indirect effects of uh, closing down health services uh, diverting resources to COVID-19 uh, instead of other important health programs is actually also causing a lot of ill health and disease uh, in the world so I think first we need to to make sure that we can have a balanced approach to supporting health systems and health capacities, in, in particular than in developing countries, uh, now also during the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, I, of course, it's, it's about recovery, it's about uh, leaving no one behind, it's about ensuring sustainable development and sustainable growth. And, and I think we see now in the pandemic uh, how important health is to people, to citizens, to, to, to the politicians. Uh, and I think uh, uh, the SDG3, uh, Sustainable Development Goal 3 on uh, health for all, is a key part of the overall sustainable development agenda. So our approach from the Norwegian government would be to, to try to sort of foster an integrated approach to development, uh, making sure that we can support countries, but also support countries in gradually taking uh, the sufficient uh, ownership uh, domestically on establishing welfare systems, health systems, this, uh, establishing so-called universal health coverage uh, where actually governments do prioritize their own resources and do prioritize the health interventions and services that have the biggest impact. Uh, this is key. And, and back to India, uh, as we know, India is, is now on the path towards uh, a universal health coverage system. It's a challenge, of course, in one of the world's biggest countries, uh, but it's really important. And, and, and uh, I think we, we see also in the pandemic how countries who have universal welfare system, universal health systems, where actually there's not the difference between rich and poor within the country in, in the support you can get, they are also the ones who tackle the pandemic the best way. Because uh, then people can follow quite strict guidelines on 
needing to work from home or even maybe not having your job for a period because you have a safety net that can take mm-hmm. care of you. Um, and I think actually to have that basic safety net, it's about health, it's about education, it's about social welfare and income guarantees and that in some levels mm-hmm. is a key policy uh, domain for all countries. So, of course, the sustainable development is about the social dimensions, which I mentioned now in many ways, but, but understanding that the social dimension is uh, really as important as the economic dimension, as, as the environmental or climate dimension of, of sustainable development. I think that's a, a key message that we have learned and, and understand currently. Yeah. And um, India, uh, like you said, has uh, enormous uh, infrastructure when it comes to health services and also surplus amounts of qualified health personnel. While Norway is among the best uh, in innovation and uh, research Uh, among others, cancer research, for example. Um, so in what aspects of health sectors can we expect more bilateral cooperation between uh, both India and Norway? No, I, I think India has a lot of expertise to offer, definitely, uh, and have a lot of solid uh, inst- educational institutions uh, within health, but also within the wider, so within medicine, I mean, but also the wider health domains as well as biomedical um, education um, and I think uh, in general increasing international collaboration uh, is important uh, to actually innovate more and, and become more efficient to find solutions that are better than the ones we have today. Um, Norway and India has had uh, a specific partnership on health, the NIPI program for some years uh, Uh, which has uh, been important and I hope can continue uh, in some way. That has been focusing in particular on making sure that health care can be provided uh, also in the most rural areas and, and among the poor uh, in India. Uh, but India is a vast continent and, and uh, uh, it's sort of with, with situation like uh, the most sort of uh, deprived countries have in some areas, in some population, but at the same time, as you indicate, the expertise and knowledge that is uh, at par, at least, and maybe even more uh, with Norway. So I think we need to understand that sort of large, the large sort of um, uh, uh, spectrum of, of capacities that India has, and, and that we should, to a larger extent, uh, see where we can find common ground. Uh, India is also strong, as we know, on the ICT sector uh, uh, and uh, of course many Norwegian companies have seen that opportunity uh, for collaboration and for also of course a, a large market yeah. India is a large mar- market because there is also a successful cooperation as we speak between India and Norway on other sectors that I can see IT, exchange of personnel um, you know in the banking sector and um, uh, other software technology sector. So I hope um, uh, to see such a development also with regards to cooperation between these two countries, uh, with regards to health sector. Or uh, do you think this could be real? This could be possible? Uh, absolutely. And as, and as we know, the uh, important innovations in the healthcare sector now coming forward uh, in, in the sort of coming years is, is really linked also to the integration of IT and, and health uh, sort of understanding. Uh, artificial intelligence, integrated services that can 
sort of really analyze the information, the data that we generate in the health system and, and not um, uh, do, uh, in a way, complement clinicians, not not uh, do without them, but, but actually complement right. the knowledge and the the insights of uh, clinicians, I think would be important. Uh, I think Norway has a modern health service, definitely, but we still have a way to go to actually really use those technologies. Right. And together we can be stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for your participation and good luck with all the efforts. And there's no other time than now, which really is uh, important that you continue with uh, exactly the focuses that you have and you work with. Thank you so much. And thanks for being here.